Well, I, uh, I don't mean to embarrass you, Colleen, but I just want to say thank you for putting together the, the chocolates for the moms. And yeah, and uh, yeah. But more than that, I want to thank you for a lot of things. See, most of you may not know this, but um, Colleen and my mom were friends uh, when they were both young moms at Center Street in Fayetteville, and um, she always made my mom feel very welcome there. And, um, and so Colleen's always been nice. She's been good to me, and when I finally realized that I was being a, 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 a huge doofus for uh, complaining about preaching Mother's Day sermons, and I finally said I was going to, she said, thank you, thank you, and I was like, yeah, that's right. I, so I repent. I repent of all my anxiety over preaching Mother's Day sermons. You just have to understand that I always thought, I've never been a mom, so I don't know uh, what to say, but now I've learned that it's enough to say thank you. And I think that after this last year, we have a lot that we can say to the moms in our world, thank you, because you've been asked to do a lot over this last year. And when you stop and think about it, it might be pretty amazing. In, in fact, um, the title for this sermon could have been Making Ends Meet. Because over the experience of the last year, I think uh, a lot of our, our, our moms had to learn how to do that. But I decided to go ahead and just call this sermon what it is. It's all about running low. When you're running low, you are empty. You're near empty. You're running low. And just like the, the, the mom in this story who was running low on the basic needs to feed her family, I think we can call that what it is. Because when we talk about making ends meet, meet which, is, which is, by the way, that's a strange phrase. And, uh, you know, if, if you're a collector of such phrases, then figure that one out. Because I don't know what it means. You're making the ends of the rope meet. You're making the cloth to make a fabric meet. You're... I don't know, making the days of the month meet, it doesn't really make sense, but I will tell you this, making ends meet has the implication that there's something that we can do to be more clever and work harder and everything comes together. And that's not the point of this story in Scripture at all. And I think that's sort of the, the, the negative message that our moms get is that you need to work harder and you need to do more so that you can be super mom and not judged by other women or judged by your own mom or judged by your grandma or judged by your children or whoever it is that's judging you. You need to do more to make ends meet. And you can be super mom and win the prize. And you know what? We gave you chocolate today just because we love you. Yeah. And we get it. There are many more days that you are running low than days that you feel like you're making ends meet. And I want to tell you today, rejoice in those days where you're running low. Because you're going to find resources from a heavenly source when you can. That's what happens in this story. I want to share with you the uh, first of Elijah's adventures from 1 Kings 17. Uh, by the way, on Sunday morning, just this morning, we started uh, a Sunday morning class that you can see on YouTube. It's uh, the first ones out there. 
We're calling it Days of Elijah. And it's all about the adventures of Israel's most miraculous prophet. And this is the first adventure of Elijah that we run. Elijah's introduced to us just seemingly out of nowhere. And he shows up to tell the king of Israel a message that the king of Israel does not want to hear. And it's a message that's going to get Elijah in a whole lot of trouble. Elijah the Tishbite, from among the settlers of Gilead, confronted King Ahab. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel, before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. God then told Elijah, get out of here and fast. Head east and hide out at the Kareth Ravine on the other side of the Jordan River. You can drink fresh water from the brook. I've ordered the ravens to feed you. Elijah obeyed God's orders. He went and camped in the Kirith Canyon on the other side of the Jordan, and sure enough, ravens brought him his meals, both breakfast and supper, and he drank from the brook. Eventually, the brook dried up because of the drought, and then God spoke to Elijah. Get up and go to Zarephath in Sidon and live there. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. So he got up and he went to Zarephath, and as he came to the entrance of the village, he met a woman. She was a widow gathering firewood. He asked her, Please, would you bring me a little water in a jug? I, I need a drink. And as she went to get it, he called out, And while you're at it, could you bring me something to eat? She said, I swear, as surely as God lives, I don't have so much as a, of a, as a biscuit. I have a handful of flour in a jar, a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and me, and after we eat it, we'll die. Elijah said to her, don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you've said, but first, make me a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. Man, you st- okay, i got to pause right there. Isn't Elijah starting to just grate on you a little bit? He's like, you know, hey, go get me a sandwich, all right? Okay, but watch. you got to st- stick with me. Go ahead and feel it, but stick with me here. This Scripture does some wonderful things here. Elijah says, first make me a small biscuit, bring it back here, then go ahead and make a meal from what's left for you and your son. Go ahead and make a meal from what's left for you and your son. This is the word of the God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. And she went right off and did it, just as Elijah asked. And it turned out, just as he said, daily food for her and her family. The jar of meal didn't run out. And the bottle of oil didn't become empty. God's promise fulfilled to the letter exactly as Elijah had delivered it. I wanted to catch your attention in that reading because I think sometimes we gloss over this and we... we, this, this scripture gets abused by so many preachers who miss the point. Focusing on the bottle, focusing on the jug. That if you send in your tithe and offering, they'll give you the miracle jug that will never run out. The, the miracle jar that will never go empty. You just have to trust God and send in your seed offering. Well, none of that's true. And uh, that's probably a talk for another day, but 
you know, if you're happening to listen in and you're one of those guys uh, teaching that, stop it, okay? And, uh, and, and if you want to call me, we'll talk. But uh, that, that's not the point here at all. The point here is that of all the people that God could set up for hospitality with Elijah, why on earth would he send Elijah to a hopeless widow who's struggling just to keep her and her child alive? It's because God cares about this widow as much as he cares about Elijah. God cares about this woman from Zarephath as much as he cares about Elijah. This drought was God's doing. It was God's doing because these were the consequences to what Ahab and his wife Jezebel were doing. You see, Ahab and Jezebel decided it was time to update the old kingdom of Israel up in the north. And so Ahab married Jezebel, who's a priestess of Baal. She actually comes from the country where Elijah has run off to, right around Zarephath. It's the land of the Phoenicians, Tyre and Sidon. Zarephath's just a little town hidden away in there on the coast. But the folks up on the coast in Phoenicia, they worship a storm god named Baal. And everybody's getting on board this worship of Baal. It's got the best music. It's just some fantastic stuff. I mean, it promises fertility when you need it, a storm when you need it. It promises success in war when you need it. Baal can answer all of your problems. You just have to keep sending in your tithes and offerings to Baal. That's all you got to do. And, of course, set it up in your government. And so it makes a lot of sense for Ahab to marry the priestess of Baal from Phoenicia for a better union because there is a bright day ahead. Phoenicia and Israel, that's right, we're strong, we're unified, we're one big super global unity up here. And we're all going to worship Baal because Yahweh is picky and he's got a bunch of rules. Yeah. And Elijah says, no, I serve the God who lives Yahweh, the one who saved all of us from dehumanization in Egypt. That's who I serve. He delivers his message, and now he's on the run. And isn't it interesting that God sends him to the home country of the priestess of Baal, the princess of Phoenicia, the queen of Israel, Jezebel. Sends, her, sends him to her home country where he meets another woman from that country. You see, too often we just... Call her the widow of Zarephath, and that's it. We don't notice anything else about her. She's just the widow of Zarephath. Why? Because we've got to have somebody who has a magic jar and a magic jug. That's the only thing we do with her. But to say that she's the widow of Zarephath means that she's an outsider. She is not one of the chosen people. She is not one of, of, of the descendants of Abraham. She's an outsider. And yet... She trusts in God. Not only that, but she should be, by rights, a follower of Baal. But she's going to learn about Yahweh. She's going to learn about it through Elijah. And Elijah is going to do much more than just give her food that won't run out. Elijah is going to bring her son back from the dead. Because if this woman loses her child, then she loses everything that she has hope in. 
And the rest of the story goes on in chapter 17. And when the child dies, the woman says, why? Why has this happened now? I mean, we've got food to survive. Now I'm thinking there might be a future. I've got hope for the first time. And Elijah cries out to God and says, God, this cannot be. And he gives her her child back. Now she has a future again. Because she's not just a widow. She's a mom. She's a mother. And I, I, know, I know the Scripture calls her a widow in Zarephath. But remember, don't ever forget that she's also a mother. The mother of Zarephath. Elijah's taken care of by God. He's learning this. He's learning this along the way. He's been asked to go and deliver a message that will literally cost him his life by opposing King Ahab. And then God says, I'm going to take care of you during the drought. I'm going to take care of you while you're hiding out. We'll get you some water from the brook, and those ravens are going to bring you food. And you wonder, why didn't God just stick with the ravens? I mean, God already, he made, he made ravens as sort of the FedEx of the bird world, right? They'll carry anything around. Uh, if they were big enough, they'd run off with your car. And so there they are, just bringing in all kinds of food stuff for Elijah. But because Elijah speaks the truth about the drought, God's going to stand by him because there's more that he wants to do through Elijah. But when the water runs out, what's he going to do? This is when God gets very interesting. And he sends Elijah to the widow. And when Elijah meets her, she's facing the drought with her son. What we know about her is she's young enough that she has a child in her care. She has no husband to help. And to say that she's a widow is a way of saying that she is vulnerable. In fact, you, you might think of single parents today. How much tougher they have it in some ways. Because they have to do it all. And this is the desperate situation that she's in. And I don't say that to shame our single parents. I say that to say we understand some are single parents for, for very different reasons. Some of you may be de facto single parents. And I don't want to get into all the reasons why that is. I just want you to know that the kingdom of God and the family of God is a place where we look at all of that with hope, not with shame. That the kingdom of God and the family of God is a place where we believe in the possibilities that Elijah raises. That it means that Elijah can come in and he's bold enough to say, hey, I need some water. And she's like, okay, water, that's not much to ask. He's really thirsty. There's a drought going on. And he goes, oh, yeah, while you're in there, could you get me a cookie? She's like, I, 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 I'm about to make our last meal and feed my kid and we're going to die. And you want a biscuit. You want hospitality at a time like this? Yeah. Oh, and there'll be some leftovers and you, you and the kid can have that. It doesn't make sense to her. It doesn't compute. But Elijah has this other way of seeing the world. And in Elijah's worldview, because he knows God and he can deliver God's word, he looks at this woman and he doesn't see the hopeless widow from Zarephath. Instead, he sees a woman that God loves and God will take care of her because she's going to take care of Elijah. And God's going to take care of her because God not only cares about the people of Israel, he cares about the people of Tyre and Sidon and Phoenicia also. So God provides for this woman who has no hope. And she becomes God's agent to deliver hospitality to Elijah. 
What does any of this mean for us? Well, first of all, this becomes a point that Jesus brings up. Jesus revisits this moment when another woman from that same territory comes to her. And Jesus gives what you would think would be the standard answer for the chosen people. When he tells this woman, and it seems rather cruel, he says, it's not right for me to help you. I have to help the children of Israel, don't I, after all? And, I, you know, some people ask, why would Jesus say such a thing? I, I, I'll ask this. I wonder if Jesus actually believes what he's saying there or if he's saying it to make a point. I'm not saying that Jesus is lying. I'm saying Jesus may be using a bit of irony to say, you know, this is the kind of thing that the chosen people say they're not supposed to get involved in because we're not taking care of our own. And when she says even the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the table, she's saying God is so big that He doesn't just take care of His chosen people, but He cares about the world. Now folks, what if we as the family of God had that same kind of attitude? That we right here are not the sole target of God's blessings, but that God wants to bless other people in this world, and if He has to bless them so that we're blessed, then so be it. God may have a much, I'm going to have to go to this right here, God may have a much focus in mind. Okay, guys, I've lost my, okay, you got me? I'm on this now, I'm not on this, all right? I'm on the pulpit mic, good, okay. So Jesus, when he sees this woman, he says, Dear woman, you really do have a lot of faith, and you will be given what you want. At that moment, her daughter is healed. You know, what she's coming for is not just a meal to prepare for her daughter. She's coming for her daughter's health. It's another mom in the pages of Scripture who learns to trust in God's care. She was running low. The woman at Zarephath was running low. And when you're running low, mom, here's what I want you to remember. First of all, trust God to provide. You're not going to be able to do it all yourself. Let's just clear that out of the way right now. You're not going to have enough within you to do everything that needs to be done. So stop with the competition for self-reliance and trust in God. We'll say the same thing to dads on Father's Day, but for today is about the moms. Trust God to provide. And then secondly, do what's right with what you've got. God never asks us to do something with what we don't have. He's always asking us to do something with what we do have. Because otherwise, we can think that it's about having more. That until we can do more for our kids, they won't really be happy. Until we can provide for our children in a certain way, as, as well as other parents do for their children, then, then it's just never going to be enough. That, that They need to have all the things that their peers have. You know, we get these ideas in our head, and they're ancient. They've been around for a long, long time. God asked Moses to go and, and rescue his people from Egypt by opposing a king who was evil and saying, you need to let my people go so they can go and worship me. They are not your slaves. They are my people. And Moses says, I don't think I'm the right guy for the job. I don't have what it takes. God says, you do have what it takes because I'm going to back you up. Are you sure about that? I mean, people are going to want my credentials. What do you got in your hand, Moses? A stick. We're going to use it. Throw it down on the ground. See what happens. If you know the rest of the story, you know that it 
a miracle happens. It turns into a snake. See, God always asks us to use what we have, not what we don't have. He's not asking you to go out there and to become independent and self-sustaining so that then he can use you. He's asking you to trust in him now who you are, use what you have, and watch what he does. You know this woman at Zarephath never thought that that bottle and that jar would be endless. I mean, I think every day is probably, you know, sometimes it's portrayed as, wow, look at this miracle jug, like there's something in the jug. I think every day she's going to the bottle, she's going to the jar and thinking, there's nothing in here today. And there is. And every day is probably like, today's the day it runs out. No, it doesn't. Every day is a miracle for her. We ought to have that same attitude. Finally, I want to tell you, stay close to God's people. She stays close to Elijah. She has no reason in the world to help Elijah. He's an outsider. He's an outlaw. He's on the run. Ahab and especially Jezebel's people, and they're right there in Jezebel's homeland, they want Elijah. Elijah is causing all kinds of trouble. Later on, Ahab will call him a troublemaker. He's dissident number one. This woman has no reason to help this man. I mean, here she is preparing for the last meal. She's got no hope. And he shows up asking for a biscuit and a drink. Really? And then he starts mansplaining everything to her, you know. Nah, nah, well, you won't run out. You got more in there than you think. How do you know? She has no reason, but she knows that this is God's people and she trusts. At the end of the chapter, when Elijah... returns the boy's life to him. This woman says something that is so profound that it gets repeated even at the crucifixion of Jesus, or at least the spirit of the idea does. When Elijah gave the boy to his mother, and here she's called mother in Scripture, and he said, look, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, And that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. When the Son of God dies on a cross, it will be a Roman centurion, an outsider, a worshiper of pagan forces, who says, surely this man was the Son of God. When you stay close to God's people, you will have testimonies of God's power just like this mother at Zarephath. We're going to come around the Lord's Supper table and we are going to remember the Son of God who even the outsiders knew that he was the Son of God. Let me say this. as I, I'm, We're going to sing a few songs. I'm going to come back up and I'm going to lead us in prayer for communion. For those of you here for the first time today, and again, this is one of our adjustments in the, uh, in the age of social distancing, we have communion set up out there in the lobby. So if during this song you need to go out there and get those, or we actually have some folks that have baskets, if you'll raise your hand, they'll bring you a, uh, a serving of the communion. And uh, let's stand and let's sing these songs, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper.